Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Steve Butler continues his series, Why Explore Bible Prophecy? Greg Patton is living in today's world, and our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, explains what he believes is wrong with Calvinism. We have a full program today, so grab your Bibles and let's join Steve Butler as he continues his look into God's Word to answer the question, why explore Bible prophecy? I wanted to go back real quick to point number one to a couple of uh, verses that are, to me, are just so key. In fact, you know, we have these 13 points, and I'm not suggesting that you do that, but um, if you had to, to refine it down, if you will, down to a couple of key scriptures that really summarize the whole thing, for me anyway, and it's, it's for me, I have to say that, it's Isaiah 46. So if you could, turn in your Bible about halfway, about in the middle of your Bible, past Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and you'll get to um, Isaiah. And there's uh, 66 chapters in Isaiah. Isn't that interesting? There's 66 books in the Bible. In fact, sometime we'll talk about Isaiah as a representation of the Bible because it's divided exactly as the Old and New Testament is divided, 39 and 27 books. It's got the same number of books, obviously 66, and the themes are the same as the Old and New Testament. And, of course, Isaiah was written 600-plus years before Christ and over a 1,000 years uh, before the Bible was actually finally put together. So it's an amazing uh, gift from God, the book of Isaiah, to us. But in Isaiah chapter 46, we were looking at verses 9 to 13, and it says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Verse 11, giving examples here, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from, the far, from a far country, Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. And we'll, we'll stop right there. The point, the point here is that God wants us to know the end of all things from the beginning, and we call that prophetic knowledge, prophetic information that we find right here in the Bible. It exists nowhere outside the Bible, if you find people who are giving you prophecies that are not in the Bible, you don't walk from that person. You run from that person because it's not of God, because God told us he's given us his completed word, and it's everything we need. So we need to spend our time in his word. The other verse that I wanted you to see is in Amos. So if you're in Isaiah, you want to go to the right past uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And then right after Daniel, you get into what are called the minor prophets, starting with the book of Hosea. Then you get into the really short book of Joel. A very, very 
prophetic book Joel is. And then you get into Amos, and you get into uh, the book of Amos, and we want to go to Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, and Amos was writing almost 800 years before Christ walked the earth. So around, you know, 750 B.C., before Christ is when Amos was prophesying. And he says in Amos chapter 3, and we want to go to verse 7, Amos chapter 3, and we want to go to verse 7, and it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Now, again, this was written about 750 B.C., and at that time, God was revealing his truths. He was revealing his plans for the near-term future and and for the long-term future as well to, in this case, Israel, and he was not leaving anything out. He wanted them to know what his secret counsel, what his plans were. And what kind of a God is there other than our God that would be that intimate with us that he would tell us what his plans are for the future? And I wanted to show you something in Psalm that corroborates, uh, amplifies on what we're, we're learned, we learned here in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. And let's go to, go to um, Psalm 25. So if you're in Amos, we want to go back past Isaiah where we were before. And that takes us to Proverbs and then to Psalms. So it's a, it's a fairly, it's a big book. It's not the biggest book. Jeremiah is, but Psalms has got 150 Psalms in it. So it's pretty, uh, pretty prolific and a wonderful, wonderful place to find a lot of um, prophecy. And let's look at Psalm 25. It says in Psalm 25, verse 12, Who is the man who fears the Lord? And we need to understand the word fear here is not a fear of being punished or beaten or anything like that. It means reverential awe, reverential awe. Who is the man who fears the Lord, verse 12? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. So that's God will instruct you if you give him the due reverence. And of course, for today, that means belief in Jesus Christ as his son that he sent to us to be crucified and to be gloriously resurrected. Verse 13, his soul will abide in prosperity. He's talking about the one who fears the Lord, the one who is righteous. He will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. Verse 14, the secret or the counsel, is another word for this, the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. So I hope you see the, the, the import of what we just read there and compare it to Amos chapter 3, verse 7, that the Lord wants to be intimate with us in the, in the sense that he wants us to know what he has in store for us. He doesn't want it to be a surprise. He doesn't want it to be a secret. We do know for those who do not believe him through his son, this will be a surprise. The coming events that are yet to unfold will be a surprise to them because they refuse to, uh, to know God through his Son, and therefore they refuse to receive the Holy Spirit who leads us into an understanding of all of this information. So let's, um, let's move on, and hopefully that's uh, encouraged you. Hopefully that's inspired you to continue on here 
in understanding why we need to explore Bible prophecy. Let's go to point number three on why explore Bible prophecy, and it's the statement is you cannot you cannot fully know who Jesus Christ is without studying the prophetic scriptures. You cannot fully know who Jesus Christ is without studying the prophetic scriptures. We have Revelation chapter 19. So we were in Psalm, so that's about the middle of the Bible. So just go all the way to the right to the end of your Bible and almost to the very end of Revelation, verse uh, chapter 19 of uh, 22 chapters. And of course, this is when Jesus Christ uh, gloriously comes back to the earth at his second coming and the church comes back with him and his holy angels come back with him as he prepares to judge the world and to set up his glorious uh, 1,000-year kingdom. So in Revelation chapter 19, let's go to verse 10, verse 10, and it reads in Revelation 19, 10, then I, and this is John the Revelator, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, verse 10, then I fell at his feet, so this is the feet of an angel, to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the key part of this verse is that last sentence. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What we're being told here is that prophecy unveils Jesus Christ to us. The purpose of prophecy, first and foremost, is to unveil Jesus Christ from Genesis, yes, Genesis to Revelation. And then, of course, through the revelation of Jesus, we have all the plans that God has already executed and the many plans that he has yet to execute in the world. And they all, of course, revolve around Jesus because the whole Bible revolves around Jesus. So to understand that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in order to understand Jesus, we need to understand the prophetic teachings. We have much more to discover in this teaching series with Steve Butler. Stay tuned for the next lesson. Expand your learning and understanding with the books, Will the Church Go Through the Tribulation?, which includes chapters by Larry Spargimino, Kenneth Hill, Doug Stoffer, Noah Hutchings, and the teacher of our new series, Steve Butler. The book What's Next by Dr. Kenneth Hill and the book Prayers of the Ancients, also by Dr. Hill. All three of these excellent books are available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order this collection online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Calvinism a set of beliefs many Christians hold to. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, has serious concerns about Calvinism. He comes now to share what he believes is wrong with Calvinism. Calvinism is a theological system that its supporters claim honors the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. 
In fact, Calvinists claim that other systems which emphasize free will and human decision ultimately dishonor God because they do not acknowledge God's absolute control and sovereignty over all things. So for the Calvinist, the person saving faith in Christ is ultimately a response to God's prior choice of that person to be saved. Only those thusly predestinated have faith and are saved. Faith does not come from the believer. It is the gift of God given only to the elect, according to the Calvinist. Since Calvinists claim to be the only ones who truly understand the sovereignty of God, let's think about the sovereignty of God. What is the sovereignty of God? That God is sovereign simply means that God answers to no one. What he does, he does freely, without consideration to factors outside of himself. He doesn't have to measure up to anyone's standards. He makes the standards. Man, of course, is not sovereign. Neither are nations truly sovereign. We base our decisions and actions on the decisions and actions of others. For example, whether or not the United States continues to give strong military support to Ukraine is greatly influenced by Russia's threat to use tactical nuclear weapons if U.S. support continues. Calvinists, however, I believe, fail to truly honor God's sovereignty. They ultimately deny that God is free to make man free. Why can't God decide to grant to humans the ultimacy of personal choice? Why can't God grant to man the power of personal choice? Who says that if man can decide his ultimate destiny, God is not sovereign? A simple illustration will suffice. A prison warden has freedom to grant the prisoners the ability to determine what happens to them during their time of incarceration. The good behavior of prisoners will earn them certain privileges and even an early release. The prisoners have been given the right to determine what happens to them. So in the same way, God was free to grant to man the power of self-determination. Whether or not an individual believes in Jesus Christ determines that individual's eternal destiny. God in his sovereignty is completely free to determine that's how he would relate to man. In other words, God was free to make man free. Man did not steal this freedom from God. God granted it freely to man. Now, what's so hard about that? Calvinists argued that faith is meritorious. Since we are not saved by merit, but by grace, faith doesn't originate with man. God gives faith, and he gives it only to the elect, the chosen few, chosen before time began, according to Calvinism. They will often quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 to show that faith is given by God. However, the Greek grammar of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 does not say that faith is God's gift. Faith is supplied by man. Salvation is supplied by God. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Grammatically, that does not refer to faith. Greek grammarian A.T. Robertson says, Faith is our part. Salvation through our faith is God's part. The gift of God is that eternal salvation is so accessible. It's not through meritorious religious deeds, but simply through our faith. So imagine an individual being washed off the deck of a ship by a huge wave. Someone throws the floundering individual a life preserver. The man simply grabs hold of the life preserver. He did not save himself. He simply grabbed hold of that which was provided. Calvinists believe in total depravity, but they give it a twist. Total depravity means total inability. Man is spiritually dead, and dead people don't have any moral sensibilities and therefore do not grab hold of anything of moral value. 
Calvinists basically believe that the image of God in man has been erased. Man is spiritually dead. In my book, I make the case that the image of God in man is not erased, rather it is effaced. This discussion in my book is very, very important. However, the implications of this belief in total inability are staggering. Why are some people saved and some people spend eternity in hell? The answer that the Calvinist gives is because God shows some to be saved. Because they have been predestinated to be saved, God regenerates them, and then they believe in Christ. The elect are saved because they are chosen. The non-elect are not saved because they're not chosen. They burn in hell forever because God did not wish to save them. Now, friends, is this the God of the Bible? What love is this that would arbitrarily consign individuals to eternal doom? Does this describe the God of the Bible of whom it is said, God is love? Despite a gloomy message like this, some Calvinists are quite militant and are very good at splitting churches. They start proselytizing some of the members with the question, for whom did Christ die? Now, most would say Christ died for everyone, whereupon the Calvinists will be very diligent to correct that individual, and they will be told that Jesus only died for the elect. This is known as limited atonement and represents the L in TULIP. It's significant that even John Calvin made some statements that would indicate he did not believe in limited atonement. Spurgeon, who is considered to be one of the main Calvinistic Baptists, had deep reservations regarding limited atonement, along with people like Jonathan Edwards and even the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of Westminster Chapel in the U.K., Lloyd-Jones is often considered one of the great Calvinists of the 20th century, yet he was not a proponent of limited atonement, and I think that's very significant. There is a song that is often used in vacation Bible school. Here are the lyrics. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Now, friends, do you believe that's what the Bible says? Jesus loves all the little children of the world? The next stanza says Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Do you think this is what the Bible teaches? Did Jesus die for all the children of the world, or did he die for just some of the children of the world? But let's move on. Are men bound, or are they free? Does God cause their evil deeds, or do men choose what God does not desire? Isaiah 65 verse 12 gives us the answer, quote, Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. Now, why is that? Is God going to slay some of them because their wills were manipulated by God and their evil deeds caused by God? Were they puppets doing evil, the evil that God designed for them to do that he might destroy them? No, a thousand times no. The rest of the verse gives us the reason, quote, Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear but did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. Please observe carefully what the Bible says. They did what God did not take delight in. They rebelled. This is their penalty. Well, dear friends, this is just a tiny sample of what is in my book, Calvinism on Trial, This Tulip Has Thorns. Let us know what you think about Calvinism and Pastor Larry's thoughts. Email info at swrc.com. That's info at swrc.com. 
www.thegreatdeal.com. Now, here's Greg Patton, Living in Today's World. So I want to talk to you today. Are you comfortable in life? Do you have a bank full of money? No real problems, no bills, health issues are fine, and I don't think that's going to work. You don't, No matter how rich or how prominent or how powerful you might be, until you allow Almighty God to complete His purpose for your life, everything you do will seem empty and vain because it will be. Almighty God created you to bear His image. There's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every human being that can only be satisfied by Almighty God. So that must mean that when you are completely yielded to God, and only when you are completely yielded to Him, are you allowing God to fill you with His character, His purpose, His plan for your life. In order for God to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ, He has to deal with everything in our lives that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. Now, boy, this could be trouble, right? I mean, every attitude of your heart. How is your attitude? As a man thinketh, what he thinks about all day long, that's what he is, Proverbs says. Every attitude of your heart, every attitude of your mind, every action, desires, plans, goals, dreams, what are they today? Anything that doesn't make us more like Jesus Christ has got to be sifted through his loving hands. Put it through the sifter and then get rid of it. God molds us in the image of his Son by allowing the Holy Spirit within us to express the life of Jesus Christ, moment by moment. Is Jesus coming out of you today? When you walk in the Spirit of God, we walk in humble submission to his authority. Have you been doing that? Then I think we begin to exhibit the life Jesus Christ is in all that we say and think and do. And and I've discovered that that's been easier for me now that I'm getting older. Things that used to be important to me are not important. I mean, it's like when I got saved. I thought this was hot and this was good and I needed that. And then after I got saved, it just reversed. I didn't need any of that stuff. And the things that I didn't think that I needed, I really desperately need. Does that make sense? Sure it does, if you're a Christian. But as you get older, again, a lot of those things have gone away. And what's really important in life? That's the question you ask. All of us go through trouble. All of us go through hardships in life. Times when we find ourselves in despair and times that we're wondering if God really understands our hurts at all. There is someone who loves you in your hurt, loves you in your suffering, in your despair, loves you in your sense of hopelessness today, who is more than adequate to meet your needs, whatever those needs might be. Almighty God, your comforter, the one who cares enough for us to ease our pain and reassure us that we're going to make it through this thing, no matter what it is, with him beside us. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come to me, didn't he? All you who are weary and heavy laden today, so I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. Don't you want that? For my yoke is easy. My load is light. Give it to God. Cast all your care upon him today. God's interested in comforting you in your heartaches and in your difficulties. He wants to be there. Let him. The true God of the Bible is a God who cares enough about you to love you no matter where you are in life or what you are feeling today. 
You can't erase his love for you. No, you can't. He's a God who cares for you in a very personal way. What did he say? I think this is one of my favorite. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. Heaven, oh, it's a real place. God has established your citizenship in heaven now. Yes, it's there now. Many times we focus on our present troubles and overlook his promises for the future. In heaven, we will experience peace and intimacy with the Savior. We'll have a perfect harmony with one another there. There's going to be no night because Jesus will be our eternal light. We will be caught up with a deep desire to serve God and worship God. We're going to be absolutely pure and perfect. Matthew 13, 43 says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. We will be given the capacity to serve and to reign in heaven according to our faithfulness on earth. Our very presence will bring glory to God. Our very presence will shout for eternity before the angels that God is a God of grace and a God of love and mercy. You know, there are many religions out there today, but there's only one true God and only one true heaven and only one true way to get there through Jesus Christ. you got to be willing today to confess your sins and accept God's Son as your Savior in order to enjoy heaven. The moment you do, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life for all eternity. Why don't you do that today? God cares so much for you. He's chosen to reveal himself to us and to rescue us from hell, eternal death. He's a God who loves us deeply, desires a personal, loving relationship with us today. He rushes to meet us in our hurt and our loneliness. He's the omniscient God of the universe. He cares for you today. He comforts you in all, not some, not most, all of your hurts. The God who cares is the God who knows every step you take, every dream you have, every desire in your heart today. He is the God who gives you hope and longs to share more of himself with you every day. You need to understand, you are a VIP, very important person to God. He cares for you in so many wonderful ways. And once you know that God cares for you, you never need to despair again. Three excellent resources for you today. Will the church go through the tribulation, which includes chapters by Noah Hutchings, Larry Spargimino, Kenneth Hill, Doug Stoffer, and the teacher of our brand new series, Steve Butler. The book What's Next and the book Prayers of the Ancients, both by Dr. Kenneth Hill. All three of these excellent books are available when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this collection online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, we celebrate Thanksgiving with historian Bill Federer. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. 
Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.